Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Tom Dorian, my co-host, sidekick. How are you doing, Tom? I'm well, and you? I'm doing great, especially since, you know, I was wandering in the parking lot, and I, there was a guy out there just wandering around the parking lot. Yeah. You know, and you never know who's going to wander in. Looking for a in. good cup of coffee. That's exactly and... right. I said, come on in. This is the place to be. And uh, amazingly, he was a bishop. Now, you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't assume that a bishop would ever be lost no. in this day and age. Because bishops always know what they're doing. Yes. But this one was looking for a good cup of coffee, and so we, we so you, welcomed you him in. Them. That's good. exactly right. We have uh, Bishop James Conley, and he's from Lincoln, Nebraska. So it's a long way from Lincoln here to the, to the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth. But welcome, Bishop Conley. Thank you, Deacon Jeff. It's good to be with you this morning. We're so pleased and honored you would be here. And one of the things that we like to do in the Catholic Cafe is we sometimes will just ask people, you know, why are you Catholic? Now, a lot of people assume that that if you're a bishop, that you were always Catholic, that you started out as a Catholic. And because only the best Catholics, right, become bishops. <laughs> you're starting to get a smile and chuckle. I understand that. But a lot of people don't realize that you're actually a convert. I am. To I the am. faith. And so what I really want is like, Bishop Connolly, why are you a Catholic? Not necessarily why are you a bishop, but why are you a Catholic? Well, that's a good question. I'm, I've asked that myself. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a story of mystery and grace. Uh, it's a great gift. Um, I'm only one of three Catholic bishops in the United States who are converts. The Bishop of uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and the Bishop of St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. So ah, three of us. A little are, small club. That's a little small club that we belong to. But I, uh, came, I became a Catholic during my college years when I was at the University of Kansas. Uh, I was a student of a great books program called the Integrated Humanities Program. I've heard of this program. Uh, John Sr. was involved in that program, wasn't he? Exactly. John Sr. was one of my teachers. There were three teachers in this program that uh, had a big influence on me. But John Sr. ended up being my godfather, as he was for so many students during those years. There were hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of converts that came out of that program at the University of Kansas. Now, I, we know that the University of Kansas, like a lot of big state universities, is not known for its Christianity, more known yeah, for it's, its basketball. It's not a Catholic <laughs> school, right? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And that was the uh, the beauty of this program, is it had such an impact on so many students. And it was not premeditated. The, student, the professors who themselves were not all Catholic, and they converted along the way as well. Isn't that incredible? You know, and this is, it's kind of like operating, uh, you know, Tom, you've got kids, you're sending off to college, and it's operating, the, it's the opposite, right? Oh, yeah. Where you, we think we're sending our kids off to college, and they get lost at college. You're right. And here, Bishop Conley goes to, to college, and he's actually, he finds his faith. And, and you say this integrated humanities program, which I've heard of, what is it about humanities, or what is it about this particular program that was starting to make you think that maybe Catholicism was going to be an answer to a big question? Well, I didn't enter the program thinking that this would be the result of these studies, but uh, what attracted me, and I think what attracted a lot of students during the 70s and 80s, was uh, the introduction to the great treasures of Western culture. Uh, through literature, but not just through literature, but through poetry and music and art and architecture. So the motto of the program was a, an, a Latin phrase by that prolific author, Anonymous. Yes. And it goes like this, Nascantur in admiratione, which means let them be born in wonder. 
And the idea for the professors, who were all seasoned professors at the university, they'd all uh, studied for many years and taught for many years, and they realized that students were coming up to the university without any background in the great books and in the great classics of Western culture, the Greek and Roman classics and the great classics of English literature. And so they just immersed us in this world of great literature, um, let them be born in wonder to see these great things mm. for the first time. And for me, I had a pretty lousy public education prior to coming to the university. And so I really never read or had contact with any of the so-called great books. So when I began, uh, I was introduced to this whole new world that I never knew existed, uh, deep in history. Um, and I guess what happened, like Cardinal Newman said, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Hmm. And so I discovered the Catholic Church. What was your faith tradition up to that point? I was raised a Presbyterian. Uh, sometimes I introduce myself as a fallen away Presbyterian. Ah. <laughs> but uh, my, my father's side of the family was Baptist. My mother's side was Presbyterian. So we were sort of nominal Presbyterians. And, Did uh, you have a good knowledge of Scripture? And, and Not really. I wasn't uh, like a Scott Hahn Presbyterian. Uh -huh. I, I really didn't know the tradition of the Presbyterian Church. It was just because it was convenient and it was uh, close to where we lived. And that's why I was uh, raised a Presbyterian. But I was raised with good Christian values, but uh, I had never discovered uh, the fullness of Christianity from a historical point of view. And that was one of the things that the humanities program introduced to all of us was just how the history of religion and philosophy and theology evolved through the centuries. And you can't study that without seeing the Catholic Church and the influence the Catholic Church has has had on art, literature, poetry, music, architecture, everything. And I suppose it was seeing that for the first time that really opened my eyes to, maybe I ought to look at this Catholic Church. If I, if I really do believe, I'm, I'm a believer. I never was an atheist, maybe an agnostic, but not, not an atheist. I knew that God existed. I think I had some level of faith. But it wasn't until I was in this great books program that I really saw the beauty and splendor of the Catholic faith, and that's what drew me in. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people will look at things like literature and art and things like that and won't realize that really those, when done well, are really truly a, a reflection of, of God, mm -hmm. of God's goodness, because we're all created in God's image and likeness. And so the expressions, if we're doing them in harmony with creation, which was good, that these would actually be avenues to experience God again. So mm -hmm. these great pieces of literature, this great art, and all this expression of music and whatnot, that's what really led you back to the creator. Then Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, even with pagan literature, because the first year we read the Greeks and the Romans, uh -huh. and so we didn't even come to Christianity, Christianity until the second year. But even with the pagan literature, like the Iliad and the Odyssey, you're introduced to um, the great ideals of truth and goodness and beauty and we see those see that in the characters and the virtues of the of the heroes and that begins the whole process of looking deeper into into these great what they call transcendentals of truth goodness and beauty so was your um, then impending conversion to the catholic faith was that well received by your family did they just say oh all right well so uh, little James has now decided he wants to be a Catholic. That's okay. We're happy that he's he's found God. You know, is that the reaction, or what was their reaction? Well, that was sort sort of uh, the reaction, actually, uh, Deacon Jeff, right. because um, my parents, God bless them, they they were always 
they always wanted what was best for mm. us, myself and my sister. And as long as we were happy and uh, excited about what we were doing and it was good, then they were fine with that. So I didn't really meet with any resistance. I think they probably, at least my father, I think, uh, thought that I was um, probably just going through a phase, you know. Well, he'll get through, he'll get over this. Yeah, you know, he'll well. go on to something else, <laughs> and and it didn't happen that way. And and uh, one of my the greatest joys of my life, uh, next to being ordained a Catholic priest, was receiving my mother and father into the Catholic faith. Oh, that's beautiful. After I had been a priest for about six years. How often mm-hmm. uh, we see this when one becomes Catholic. Like dominoes, sometimes God works in mysterious ways, but works in families usually just through one. And you know, I guess that's how He, you know, authored salvation too. He chose one people, you know, the Israelites, and wanted to start there, and and then it it just it branched out. And so you were able to influence uh, and bring your your parents, and that's a beautiful, beautiful. Uh, uh, a thing. Well, as you know, my niece now is, is she's in the RCIA class. I so am she, so honored to have uh, have her in there in uh, studying the faith. That's a beautiful. I, I know you that has to make you proud, or, or in, in that in that positive way, just light up because you know it makes the the Blessed Mother happy, right? Absolutely. You may, and and you know she knows she's smiling, going ah, this is the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> That's great. And plus, it's also nice that uh, I, I, it's guaranteed for. Caitlin, that she can't fail this this class, RCIA, <laughs> because her uh, uncle's a bishop. So uh, that lends a lot of weight with the teacher. So I know she's going to get an A. But um, so in all of this, becoming Catholic was was it like? Did you see yourself as sort of a new creation at this point? Did you have a new sense of fervor and meaning and purpose? Absolutely. Like most converts, you, you discover this new world, and uh, and it's a profound experience and. You don't really know um, what you're getting into, um, but you know that it's exciting. It's an adventure, and um, you c- continue to discover more and more about it. So there is an excitement um, if you run into converts. Uh, I know I was probably pretty obnoxious my first couple of years as a Catholic, you know, trying, yeah. <laughs> trying to convert everybody around you. Uh, and, and that's a problem because you do end up uh, turning people away. Yeah, but they do see that enthusiasm about your faith, and they do see that love that you have. And even though sometimes you get on people's nerves because you're always talking about it, but still, it's it's there is a certain energy that uh, converts have. And I don't know. Some people say converts make the best Catholics. I don't know if that's true, but certainly they bring an excitement and energy. To I was going to say Catholic maybe faith. a better way to look at it is to say that that Catholics need converts. Yeah, yeah. Because in that sense, because it really just fires up the Catholic base as well when they finally go, hey, what is this guy got well you know newman again i always quote uh, cardinal newman because he had such a profound influence on my conversion but when he was converted to the catholic faith in england in the 19th century after he became a catholic and kind of ran into some obstacles along the way and had a tough time of it he he, he had this great saying where he said well yes you know converts need to pre- be prepared for the catholic church but the catholic church also needs to be prepared for converts amen mm-hmm. amen that's beautiful now i know the uh uh, it's a beautiful story thus far, and there's more to it because I'm sure that you're you didn't decide that at the when you graduated from uh, University of Kansas that they gave you your your uh, bishop's mitre at that point, and so there's another road we want to talk about, and, and that is your your calling to the priesthood, and we're going to talk about that. 
right after we take a little break. But before we do that, I do want to remind folks at home that we have a wonderful website. It's www.thecatholiccafe.com. You can hear this show and any other show we've recorded. Uh, it's right there to be searched for and found on the on the Internet. Um, but also, I'd like to hear from you. Send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. How do we determine that we are following God's will? Perhaps if it is virtuous, then God wants us to do it. But if it is a pious, good, and virtuous act, is that enough to tell us that God has willed it to be done, and it is what He wants for us? This can get tricky. But St. Ignatius of Loyola can help. St. Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish saint born in the late 15th century who became the principal founder and the first superior general of the Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits. St. Ignatius devised a simple test for determining God's will in our lives. He tells us that we must look at the fruits of what we are doing. That will tell us whether or not God willed it to be done. If it has good fruits peace, harmony, and happiness, then it is more likely that we are following the will of God. If it has bad fruits, discord, pain, and disharmony, then it is more likely that we are not properly discerning God's will in our lives. A man wakes at 4 a.m. every day and spends four hours in prayer, which would ordinarily be viewed as a virtuous act. But if he is married, he may encounter a wife who becomes angered by the fact that he is no longer helping her get the household ready for the day, making breakfast and bathing and dressing the children. St. Ignatius would tell us that because of the bad fruits of his morning ritual, the upset wife, the disharmony in the household, the man might be being influenced by the evil one, Satan, who often comes to us in the guise of light. St. Ignatius would suggest that if the same man prayed the same amount, but at times of the day more in accord with his family's schedule, the fruits might very well include a more harmonious household and a happier wife. Thus, St. Ignatius would tell us that this was truly following the will of God. So often in our daily lives, we need affirmation that the road we have chosen was indeed the one that God had intended us to take. While the world may tell us one thing about the choices we make, the fruits of those choices cannot lie. We need only to take the time to examine our actions and their results to determine if God was truly served in carrying them out. Because of his life dedicated to the good fruits of a faith-filled life in Christ, St. Ignatius was canonized a saint in the year 1622. His feast day is July 31st. I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, made ever more luxurious by our guest here, Bishop James Conley from Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, Bishop, we just finished talking about you becoming Catholic, and that was very exciting. And that actually makes it, it's better to be a Catholic bishop, right? If you're going to be a bishop, it's better that you're Catholic, I guess is the way (laughs) I should should phrase that. So we're, we're excited for that. But, you know, you could have stopped there. 
because uh, you said you were filled with zeal and this this sort of new purpose in life, and you're going to be a good Catholic, and you're going out there, and maybe you knocked on a few too many doors, and maybe knocked on a few too many heads in the process, and that's all we understand all that. But something obviously was calling you to go to go deeper into this new faith. Tell us about that. How did you get this first inkling that maybe that God was calling you to be a priest? Well, that. Uh didn't come until about two years after I had uh, converted, and I graduated from college um, with a degree in English literature, and I didn't really see myself as a teacher, and you can't do much with uh, a degree like that unless you teach or write, and I just didn't feel inclined to that. I didn't really know what uh, I was being called to, and several of my friends had uh, entered the seminary, converts, and so I began to think about that a little more, Um, but I didn't think for one, that converts could become priests, which is kind of ah. a, a strange, crazy thing. I thought, well, you had to be born into this club to be one of its official priests. Uh, but I quickly realized that, no, you, you could become a priest. That's the, otherwise, all of our priests would be Jewish or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, yeah, so I, that myth was dis- dispelled for me. And so um, I... Uh, was it a, but was it a suggestion or you just... Well, you what happened was it? I was traveling in Europe. I... Um, uh, you know, didn't really have uh, any plans or, or any long-range career uh, ideas, and so a bunch of us ended up like so many college graduates, uh, just traveling in Europe. And uh, we ended up at a Benedictine monastery in France, which became an attractive place for a lot of these mm. converts, and some eventually became monks, Benedictine wow. monks, and eventually came over to the United States and founded a monastery in Oklahoma called Clear Creek. Right, Clear Creek Abbey. Mm-hmm. Most of those first monks were contemporaries of mine. So also was a cheap place to stay and a yeah. great uh, but we were totally immersed into the Benedictine spirituality. And that's really where I learned how to pray. Uh, was there at the monastery. The the monastery still uses Gregorian chant in Latin and um, sing, chants the psalms uh, seven times a day. So I was just immersed into this life of prayer and work with uh, Ora et Labora, right. St. Benedict's ideal. And I really began to think deeply about what God was, you know, what did God have for me? What kind of plan? And I think that's where, those were the seeds of, of, of my vocation. But still, it wasn't anything explicit. I discerned that I didn't have a, 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 a vocation to monastic life. That was a little bit too radical for me. And um, so I came back, and I thought that maybe God was calling me to uh, to uh, marry a great Catholic girl and have right. a big Catholic family. And a friend of mine had just inherited his grandmother's farm out in western Kansas needed some help. So I moved out there. I fell in love with the agrarian life when ah. I was in France because the monks raised all their own food. They had a beautiful vineyard. And so I was... I was really attracted to that rural life, and so moved out there and loved it, and um, only problem is I didn't have a wife, and I didn't want to be a bachelor farmer the rest of my life. Bachelor farmer, yeah. That's not so, a reality show no. I'd even watch. Uh, no. That doesn't, doesn't sound very interesting. So, um, you know, I just I was, I was actually dating a girl, and I thought, well, this is it. You know, she was a wonderful Catholic girl from a wonderful Catholic family. And things were just sort of falling into place. And then Pope John Paul II, the new pope, came to the United States for the first time, this Polish pope. And, of course, those of us who remember those days, uh, that was quite an exciting time. And he came to the United States only a year after he was elected in 1979. And so... Where did you see him? Well, 
he came to Des Moines, Iowa, of ah. all places. He mm. came to Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Chicago, and Des Moines, Iowa. Because, Bishop, I saw him. I was standing there amongst like two million people in Chicago and mm. saw him at that very time. Yeah. So dynamic. And I felt, you know, as a tiny little person in this huge crowd, but I felt this personal connection. He had that kind of dynamism. He did. And he was young. He was in his late 50s at the time and uh, manly and virile Mm -hmm. and just he was just an inspiration to all of us. So we piled into vans and drove up to Des Moines and spent the night there in the rain and and it was the it was the feast of uh, St. Francis of Assisi, October fourth, nineteen seventy nine. I remember it like it was yesterday. And we were there with about three hundred thousand Catholics, and uh, I think there were probably about a thousand priests and a couple hundred bishops, and it was just a great Catholic experience. And at the end of that mass, uh, I remember it so well, as he was wont to do, he made this plea: "You know, young men, yeah. consider the priests would follow oh. me." You know, join me uh, in the new evangelization or whatever he said. And uh, and that, I can remember, was the moment that maybe God is, is calling me to be a priest and to join this great man, this great leader, and to follow him and to follow Christ in his Catholic Church. And I remember it was during harvest, and we were harvesting soybeans out in western Kansas and spending like 12, 14 hours a day on the tractor. And yeah. I just kept thinking, priesthood, priesthood, maybe God's calling me to be a priest. And Maybe because you were tired of harvesting soybeans. That too. could have been. I mean, I, was, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. But uh talked to my girlfriend about it. She was wonderful, very selfless uh, young lady. And she said, well, you need to talk to a priest. And so... She actually set the appointment up with the priest. That, Isn't that uh, awesome? It, it was great. She was wonderful, and she kind of led me to this priest. And God he, was at work there. Absolutely. And uh, we had a, I had a great meeting with this priest uh, who eventually became a spiritual mentor to me. He preached my first Mass and uh, gave me my chalice. And uh, so, long story short, I entered the seminary only about a few months after that. I started in January of 1980, so it was only three, three and a half months later. Mm-hmm. I was in the seminary, and it was green lights after that. I just knew this was where God was going. Oh, that's that's so awesome. You know, and I guess I want to point out, and you already know this, but I want to point out to the listeners just how important some of the things you mentioned, that t- taking the time to listen to God, I mean, to, to be in a monastery, just to immerse yourself in your Catholicism mm-hmm. in, in whatever form or fashion that is, but really just listening to God and, and to be able to hear the call, you've got to have be a little quiet maybe. Absolutely, right? and, and then, even more so today because back then – you know, nearly what over uh, almost almost thirty five years ago, um, we lived in a noisy world. But today, even more so. Yeah. And I always preach when I talk to young people, and I go around the diocese and preach on vocations. I say, you know, you need to learn to pray. Everyone needs to learn to pray. Whatever your vocation is, you're not going to hear the voice of God unless you stop and incorporate some silence into your life. And sit before the Blessed Sacrament in, uh, in before our Lord, our Eucharistic Lord, and just ask him, Lord, what is your plan for my life? And if we can get people, young people and not so young people, to, to do that you know, right. on a regular basis, then God will reveal his plan to us. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of that. And, and I also think that uh, some other things that really, that when you said it just really stuck me, is that, that, that God used certain people in your life. Right, you you had a, a wonderful, beautiful Catholic girlfriend who saw a bigger picture there and Absolutely. recognized that. Right, and then also, you, you know, the the priest that you visited, it it could have been, you know, the curmudgeon, you know, the crotchety old priest that nobody liked. Which I, you know, I don't want to be, 
I love my priests. Mm-hmm. But I guess my point is we need to recognize that that we might be the person that God's calling to minister, to help, to assist, to guide someone else. And so at all times, we've got to be ready to look at the big picture and see that. Because those people obviously were in your life. You were blessed with, uh, I'm sure, several several people in your life who helped steer you to the priesthood. Right, right. Divine providence is such a mystery and a wonderful thing. As I said, my vocation is really a gift and a mystery as John Paul II noted in his book, uh, mm. you know, he wrote a book with that title. But it's true. In every encounter we have with, with, with individuals, souls, um, who knows what God is working at that moment. And if we can just have the presence of mind to look at those encounters as a moment in God's providence, both in our lives and in the lives of the people we're with, um, I think we would see uh, this beautiful mystery, this tapestry that God is weaving in our yeah. lives and other people's lives. And uh, the thing is, we don't realize that until after the fact. I look back at those moments, and to me at the time, you know, I just they were just encounters and didn't even really think about it. But when I look back on my life, and we should all look back on our lives, because we can all discover moments like that mm-hmm. where people were put into our lives and ended up playing a key role. But at the time, you don't realize it. And you use the word tapestry, and we see, you know, our life and all... Salvation history really is a, is, a, is a big tapestry, right? And God being the master weaver. And a lot of times we, one of the problems I think we have is we compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We'll see this going on here and this, this is our religious side. This is how we go to mass on Sunday and we do this on this day. And I guess we also need to realize, and you realized it maybe even in hindsight, that God was working in your life in all different aspects of your life, wasn't he? Absolutely. And we and that's a good point you make, Deacon Jeff, is that we do tend to compartmentalize our lives. And we did we segregate, you know, our religion to Sunday morning and then the rest of the week, you know, we have our business life, our family life. We need to integrate our faith into every aspect of our life. Not that we're always talking religion or that we're always preaching to somebody, but that their faith, our Catholic faith is uh, we, we let God into every aspect of our life so that he, he will guide us uh, in decisions about our family, in decisions about our work, our business, our careers, uh, our social life, our neighbors, whatever. You know, that, that's where we need to really make ourselves whole and integrated. Wonderful words from a, a wonderful bishop. And, Bishop, it's, uh, it's obvious to me that you weren't lost in our parking lot. You, you, you <laughs> found your way. Uh, and, and I know that, that your flock in Lincoln, Nebraska, is happy and blessed to have you as a bishop. I hope and we so. wish you well. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your great story here on the uh, Catholic Cafe. Absolutely. It's been, a, it's been a joy. It's been a great. And, and, and God, God bless your apostolate. It's well, wonderful. thank you so much. In fact, speaking of God's blessings, would you offer a blessing for our listeners? I'd be happy to. Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the angels and saints, especially everyone's guardian angel and patron saint, may Almighty God bless you and keep you and protect you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online download mp3s or take advantage of our podcast feature if you'd like to contact deacon jeff send an email to deacon jeff at the catholic cafe.com
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.